Good morning, everyone. Tom Moran from Tom's Big Spiders here. It is the day after Thanksgiving. I'm hoping all the folks in the States that celebrate Thanksgiving had a great one and aren't sitting there like I am right now feeling completely bloated and like they probably ate way too much yesterday. So, again, hope everybody out there enjoyed their Thanksgiving. It is now Black Friday. I am not going to do Black Friday shopping. I will not hit the stores. Billy and I did that years ago. I'm Believe it or not, not a particularly what I would call a people person. I avoid crowds like the plague. I like staying at home. And the last time we tried the Black Friday thing, it was a bit of a debacle with people grabbing stuff out of my carriage that they wanted. And it just didn't go all that well. So we're going to avoid that. I may hop on Amazon later and see what they have for sales there. That's more my speed. But anyway, starting off today, we're going to come back to a topic that I started actually a while back, which is things I wish I knew when I first got into the hobby. I did the first one, oh gosh, I think it might have been only the third episode of the podcast as I was trying to figure out what I was going to do for a format and some of the topics I was going to work on and realized as I was going through some of my notes that I never circled back to it. And I think I have some more cool things to add, especially after talking to some keepers lately. It is that time of the year where people are having the Black Friday sales, including tarantula dealers, a lot of great sales going on. So people are going out buying a lot of tarantulas. Um, as a result, I'm seeing a lot of traffic on my website of people looking up certain species. I'm getting a lot of questions about them, about housing and things of that nature. So I figured this would be a cool time to cover it. It might be timely for some of the people that are just getting into the hobby. And again, for those of you that listen to me that already know all this stuff, I do appreciate it. I trying to mix up what I'm doing lately with some of the you know more advanced stuff or stuff that pertains to people that have been in the hobby for a little while, plus keep with the beginner stuff. Because to be honest, those of us who have been in the hobby for a while, we start to realize it's not all that difficult. There's only so much you can come up with, um, with the exception of maybe presenting new species and things of that nature. There's you know some topics that you could do that would be considered advanced topics, but a lot of it starts to become very familiar. So I, I struggle sometimes trying to come up with topics that will appeal to both, but it seems like people are digging them. The podcast is continuing to grow, and I, I do not want to get rid of away from my roots, which was originally to create a resource out there for folks who are just getting into the hobby that, or someone that they can go to and be comfortable with asking questions because I do know, and we'll get to this at the end of my list here today, that some of the online forums and Facebook groups can be a bit inhospitable to those that are new to the hobby that are asking what are considered to be stupid questions. So that's the whole point of this. It was never, you know, to be Facebook or YouTube famous or anything like that. I find that all honestly very silly and embarrassing. It's more just to be a resource that people can go to when they're looking for good information. And quite frankly, in my end, I've met some great people that I can chat with and have conversations with about spiders because there's not all that many people that I interact with daily that really care about them. I mean, granted, I can explain it to my kids. I do end up a lot of times in school talking about spiders with my kids and one of them came to me the other day they rescued a spider from another teacher's room that was about to crush it and I tell you out of all the things I did that day just teaching reading class it went really well you know working with kids on papers and stuff that might have been the highlight of my day as far as teaching like oh my gosh is that completely changed their views on how to you know how we should respect our animals even the spiders so that's why I do this. It's not to, not, nothing's monetized. I'm not trying to get a buck off it. I'm not trying to get famous. It's not about me. The only reason I even appear on my YouTube videos is I thought the talking hands were getting a little boring when I do the introductions and the outros. So I just pop on there for that. But I want it to be about the spiders. I want it to be about, you know, you guys, the people out there. So please feel free to ask or email any questions you want me to cover on the podcast. I love answering the questions. And I think generally speaking, if one person has a question, 100 people have the same question. And it's a great way of dealing with it. And some of the stuff, although I seem to rehash it, they pop up more you know, often than not. So 
Moving ahead, we are going to continue with this list. Now, the first time I covered it, I believe the things I went, I actually had to go and listen to the podcast. And I, I, a little hint, I hate listening to my podcasts. I don't like editing them. I don't like going through and hearing my voice. It makes me cringe. Billy and I were sitting here this morning having our morning coffee, and I had it like turned down really, really low. And we were laughing about the fact that I can't stand listening to them. But I had to go through and figure out which topics I covered last time. So the first one we covered, Tarantula on its back is not dead. It's molting. Mature males live shorter lives. Uh, uh, The myth about tarantulas' bites being no more than a bee sting is obviously a myth because there are old world species where the bites can be much worse. The fact that handling is not a necessary part of the hobby. Again, we're not. I, I did my whole podcast on my thoughts on handling. I'm kind of open-ended with it. Um, it's funny, my brother just came over yesterday for Thanksgiving, and he knows I do the spider stuff, but we don't talk a lot about the specifics. And the first thing he did was go into my spider room and go, all right, what, what can I handle? I want to handle one. I want to handle one. And we had kind of an interesting conversation. I was trying to explain to him, I don't handle the spiders. I have before. I, I needed to do it to get over my fear and prove that I could do it, but it's not something I practice. And it, it turned out to be a good conversation because I think at the end he got it. At first he was like, what do you mean you, don't, you, know, you got all these things and you don't pick any of them up? And then finally at the end he's like, all right, that actually makes a lot of sense. So again, another teaching situation in my own brother. Um, the other ones we covered were, oh, and then we did care sheets, the bane of the tarantula hobby. I spend more of my personal time basically going against things that people read in care sheets. I had somebody the other day contact me because they got a Carabina Versicolor and they didn't know what was wrong with it. It was sitting all hunched up in the corner and they sent me pictures and it literally looked like there had been a monsoon in the enclosure. And again, I'm not making fun of the individual whatsoever. There is a lot of bad information out there that talks about quote unquote humidity and keeping the moisture levels up. And I think people, I, I can remember vividly starting the hobby and reading about the moisture-dependent species and trying to figure out how much moisture is too much, how much isn't enough, how much ventilation is too much, whatnot. So I totally get it, but that shows you that that information still hasn't gotten out there. And unfortunately, if you go you know, on YouTube or go out, you'll, you'll find a lot of information because anybody can do this stuff. Anybody can go up and set a blog up right now. Anybody can go up and do a YouTube channel. And again, that's the right. and More power to them. It's a great thing. It's a fun way to share your hobby. But unfortunately, I think it can be hard sometimes to discern which people People are doing it just to kind of share what they're doing. It may not necessarily be doing things correctly or the way most of the hobby is doing it, and which people are actually been in it for a while, know what they're doing, and should be looked at as role models as far as tarantula keeping. So I think that can be a very slippery slope. There are a lot of YouTubers out there now, which is great because the more people out there doing the YouTube videos, the more people that blow up like Petco and uh, Dark Den or Exotics Lair that draw some of those casuals into the hobby because they are fun guys, they have great personalities, they have great collections some great tips those are the people we need you know to kind of rope people in and then we need those people to go out and realize that just watching one YouTube video does not constitute research you got to go out there do your research look up more people talk to people other people that are keeping them to find out if the information is correct and again I'm not evaluating anybody's channel right now I'm just saying as a general rule of thumb a lot of people if you've talked to me before I always encourage you to go out and talk to other people don't just take my word for it I've found things out even just from posting stuff online. Somebody's come up to me with other tips and tricks that they use that I've adopted. And I try to credit those when I can because I don't want people thinking that I'm coming out there going, I'm the god of the tarantula hobby and I know everything. I absolutely do not and I'm learning daily. That's part of the fun of this. Honestly, if this were a hobby that I could pick up everything right off the bat, I'd probably get bored with it eventually and stop all this Tom's Big Spider stuff and just go play with my Transformers or something. So I think part of it is we're always learning. I think that people 
it was great. I just posted up a video as I completely go off on a tangent. Sorry about this, but on uh, Brachypelma species and the comments that I've been getting, which I absolutely love, are the people going, I come to this channel because I learn stuff. That's as good as it gets for me. That's what I'm there for. I have no aspirations of being a YouTube personality. I think anybody that's watched me realizes I'm still uncomfortable being in front of the camera. It's not the same as teaching a classroom. My kids joke that watch my channel that I seem so boring and dry on it because it's just a different side of me. There's nobody to play off of. The whole point of my channel and everything I do is to educate. So to hear comments like that, it makes all of this worthwhile. It makes sitting here in a, you know, kind of cold living room right now. I think it's eight degrees outside and I haven't jacked the heat up yet with dogs snoring and farting behind me. It, it makes it all worthwhile for me. That's what I do this for. That's where I get my satisfaction. That's why this means so much to me, the whole Tom's Big Spider thing and the fact that it is taken off to this level that it's just, it floors me sometimes, but is incredibly satisfying. I feel like I've actually done something as far as teaching is concerned. And it's, that's what it's about for me. I guess that's what I'm trying to articulate here, that it's not about being internet famous, which I find goofy as I'll get out and anybody that's talked to me in person, I'll, you know, use some choice words about how much I make fun of myself for the fact that I do this stuff. But hearing people go, I learned, or you inspired me to get one and do the research, or I was doing this wrong, and then I saw your video or read your article, that's why I turn around the Billy like, this is what I'm doing this for. Not to be famous, not to, you know, have my kids get all upset because they want me to catch up to, like, you know, the big guys like PewDiePie or Ninja or whatever, the, whatever they mark applier. They're like, oh, you're going to get there? And I will never get there. That's not it. But the people that come to me and come to my channel, come to my podcast, come to my website are ones that are looking for knowledge, looking for good information. Those are the ones I'll find. Let other people be the mainstreamers. That's totally okay with me. So enough with that. Let's move on to the list. And I did do a blog post of this, so I'm going to like refer to that at times. But I, I do think there are several things in the hobby that people need to know before getting in. And I'm working right now on like a master series of videos that will cover every aspect of the hobby for somebody just getting into it. I've already got someone put together, some of the actually scripting some of this out only because there's so much information to pack in it. It's going to take me a while, but this will be like my masterpiece as Lily snorts in the background. As far as educational type videos I produce, it's something that somebody can just watch the whole series and hopefully get a better idea of what this hobby is about. But I do think there's some things people need to know right off the bat. So one of the ones that just came up, I just had somebody email me. Hey, Tom, I don't know if you realize this or not, but I just bought an acrylic cage that has the wire mesh vents, and I came in the other day, and my spider had chewed a hole through the vents. I didn't know they could do this. Well, this starts off our presentation of things I wish I knew when I first got into the hobby. Tarantulas are amazing escape artists. They are strong. They are much smarter than we give them credit for. They can detect airflow in places that we may not recognize there is even airflow and places that they may escape from. And this is something that goes overlooked sometimes. So I had somebody contact me recently about putting a sling. They had a three-quarter inch sling and they're like, yeah, I bought one of these little tiny critter keepers and it's going to be perfect for us. So I, I shot back, hey, just to give you a heads up, those slats, vent slats at the top of the critter keeper cages are actually large enough to permit escape from a sling. I know for a fact I tried to use one years ago and caught my sling halfway out of it. It was a bit of a debacle. I've talked to other people that have lost them. And they're like, no, 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 I've looked at it. The, the sling isn't going to be able to go. Its butt's too big. Well, here's the deal. If your sling or your spider's carapace can fit through a hole, it can get out. 
and sometimes they can injure themselves trying to get out. We had a situation where the guy's got its it got its carapace out, and it actually ruptured its abdomen because the abdomen obviously can be larger than the carapace, trying to escape from a small hole in a cage. So that's something that people need to be aware of. So unfortunately, I get an email about two weeks later. Hey, Tom, I feel like an idiot. You were right. The I went to check on it the other day. Couldn't find it. Dug the whole thing out. The sling's gone and escaped. And I feel terrible. And you know what? I get it. I, I I don't fault people for, well, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. It's like you, you ask a question, I try to give you some advice, and, and you, they don't listen. But sometimes there's just people that, you know, you have to learn. Like is the kids that you tell them the burner's hot, they don't seem to believe you until they actually put their hand on it. I used to be kind of one of those kids. Like they tell me something, and I had to do it first. to go, oh, yeah, they're absolutely right. This was a dumb idea. So I, I feel bad for the sling. I feel bad for the, per- the person. Obviously, felt very, very bad about it, badly about it. So I get it. But that is something to be aware of. They are escape artists. If they can get their carapace out, they can get their whole bodies out. They will detect gaps. You may think there's a little gap that they're not going to notice. They can feel the airflow. Remember, all of those little hairs, all those little seeds all over them are sense organs, sensory organs. They use those to detect airflow. That's how they know when you open an enclosure. It's not so much by sight. It's by the feel, the change of air pressure, the breeze rushing in. So they will find those gaps. They can chew through things like tape. A lot of people will use tape to try to block off like duct tape, block off places that they want the, you know, to keep the tarantula from escaping from. And the tape can be chewed through. I use these for slings, sling enclosures. I've, I've used tape to block off these little spots where the hinges are. And unfortunately, once the slings get, luckily it's after they're big enough or too big to be able to escape out of it, they can chew through that tape. Another big one, the vents. A lot of acrylic enclosures, people that make acrylic enclosures, acrylic enclosures, don't realize that tarantulas can chew through those. These are things they can use their fags to dig through hard packed dirt in the wild. They can easily chew through wire mesh vents. So for example, I bought some acrylic enclosures from Lark's Plastics years ago. And sadly, this is a spot where I ignored people. This is talking about putting your hand on the burner. Even when somebody told you already that it's hot and you're going to get burned, I had heard that they could chew through them. I'm like, I've never seen anything like that. They'll be fine. And I put my Lazy Adora Parahibana female, a big one, in one of those enclosures. Well, one day I went to take the cage down to do a feeding, and I noticed that she had literally torn the entire vent. All the screen was pulled right out. She ripped the whole thing out. It was unbelievable. I have a photo of it on my website easily could have escaped through that. Luckily, I had it pushed up against another cage so she wasn't able to get out all the way. That could have been an escape spider, a rather large escape spider. So do know the terrestrials, not so much. The arboreals don't seem to do it as much, but terrestrials will definitely chew right through that type of wire meshing. So it's important to not use that for larger specimens. A lot of places out there like Lorex Plastics will now do drilled vent holes, which is great. Jamie's Tarantulas has always done drilled vent holes, which is fantastic because they can't chew out of those. But they will try to find places that they can get their fangs in and try to chew them. I've also heard people say they've tried to chew through the tops of the critter keepers. I haven't seen that yet myself, but I'm not discounting the fact that it can happen. Now, when Billy and I first moved out of the house while speaking of escape stories, we one of the first things we did was pick up some snakes, and obviously the queen, my G. Uh, G. Rosea, G. Porteri, it's going to be G. Rosea once the final paper comes out, and we also picked up an A. Simani, the zebra leg, and the A. Simani I had in a hexagonal fish tank, not the most appropriate enclosure in the world for a tarantula, I'm just going to throw that out there, with some substrate. And it had a cover to it that had an hexagonal opening that was for basically the water filter to go in. 
And it didn't seem like a very big opening. And this was, as it turned out, a mature male. So it was a good sized spider. So I figured that it would be perfectly fine in there. Well, my mom used to come over and watch my son a couple days a week while Billy was working. I was at work. She was working. And she'd come over to the apartment. Now, my mom is the type of arachnophobe that she doesn't even want to see a picture of a spider. She found a molt on her table one day when she was over here and basically screamed, couldn't believe it. I have actually, we have a plant, a peace lily on the table that it looks like it's filled with moss at the base and it's all old molts. I'll have to put a picture of that up some point. Strange thing I do. But anyway, she saw one of the molts on the table, freaked out. She doesn't want to see them. She doesn't like walking through the transfer room. And she told me, Tommy, I don't want to see any of those spiders. So what we used to do is sometimes cover the cages up or put the cages a little out of the way so she wouldn't have to look at them while she was watching my son. Well, I get a phone call one day at work from Pilly. Your mom is freaking out. She won't go back into the apartment. One of your spiders is out. So come to find out, she was sitting there watching TV with my son, probably had Spongebob's on or something, my oldest son, who's now 23, and they were watching TV, and apparently the AC Monty had managed to squeeze itself completely out of the hole in the top of that hexagonal tank and was sitting there perched right on the edge. So I guess she looked over, didn't register it at first, looked back, realized it was a spider, screamed, grabbed my son, and ran from the apartment. So luckily, I was able to get home early from work, run in, and the spider hadn't gone too far. It was still sitting right on top of the enclosure. Thank gosh, I got it into a new, more appropriate house and a new aquarium that locked. But that was a huge eye-opener for me. It was also a huge pain in the buttocks because my mom, for a while, refused to come back to our apartment. We had to drop Kane off at her house because she wasn't going to watch him in the apartment where the spiders were going to escape after I promised her they would not. So there you go. There's my own example of something getting out. Also recently, and this one still kills me, I still feel terrible about it. It's the first time it's happened since the modern, we'll call it the modern times of Tom getting into the hobby. I got a piece Sosme that was about an inch or so, inch and a half, and I put it into one of those hinged plastic clear containers I get that I absolutely love. And we put it in there. I was It, it, it dug in. I figured it was in pre-molt. Well, months went by, and I hadn't seen the thing. And I'm like, all right, this is a really long pre-molt. I'd raised two Sazme previously, and they didn't usually disappear for that long. So finally, curiosity got the better of me, and we pulled them out on the table and dug it up, and I found nothing, no trace of the spider, nothing. And I was like, oh, my gosh, what the heck happened? I figured it must have died in pre-molt, and maybe you know, the, the, what will happen is flies will find it, eat it up. There will be nothing left of it. So I was disappointed. I was sad. Couldn't figure out why I left or lost it. And that was it. We took the container. I cleaned it out, washed it out real good. Anyway, fast forward several months later, I go to take one of my containers off the shelf that has my B Clozzy in it. And little legs are dangling out of this gap underneath the hinges that I somehow never noticed when I bought these cages. And I realized right then and then that spider hadn't died and rotted. My P. Sazme had probably walked right out that hole and that gap in the thing and gotten lost in my room. And that really bothers me because, I, you know, that's that's a, a rookie mistake as far as I'm concerned. I should know better. I was really upset. So I had to go and basically retrofit all the cages to make sure those were blocked off. So do know, guys, if you pick these guys these things up, if they can get their carapace through something, their carapace is much flatter than their abdomen, then they can possibly get their whole body through it and they will injure themselves trying to get the rest of them in there or they can get stuck. I've had people send me pictures of tarantulas half in, half out of an enclosure. One of them was a critter keeper. It was a uh, sling that had gotten half out of the critter keeper, but its abdomen was plump. So its abdomen was stuck and it was a nightmare for them to get it out. So when in doubt, 
ask somebody. I mean, reach out. Feel free to ask me, hey, Tom, do you think this is a good cage for this size? I will be more than – those are the ones I jump on immediately so people don't lose spiders because I've been there. I know what it feels like. But always feel free to reach out and ask or, you know, when in doubt, just – Use something different. If you're looking at it going, "Mm, I don't know, it looks like you could get through that, then don't use it. It's the best thing to do because that way you won't lose a spider. For our next one, I probably will keep this a little bit shorter because I've covered it so many times. But you know what, people? You can't hear it enough. (sighs) I'll I'll, I'll, I'll preface it like this, and then we'll see if everybody can figure out where I'm going with this. You walk into a pet store. You see that they carry tarantulas. You go over the tarantula cage to see what they have, and you notice a bunch of tarantulas in cages with water dishes with giant sponges in them. Because, obviously, we all know that tarantulas, when they drink, they use their fangs like drinking straws to suck the water right out of it. And if you don't give them a sponge, they can't drink because they can't drink out of water dishes. They can actually drown. All right, obviously, this is going to be tarantulas can use water dishes. This is something that we all need to hear. We all need to know. I get at least two or three of these a week, which is fine. It's people asking, hey, I've heard they can drown, whatever. And then usually once a month, I get into some type of debate with somebody who tells me I'm an idiot for keeping water dishes with them. And what I've loved is I've seen now on some of the tarantula groups, people posting pictures of their tarantulas drinking, going, nope, they can't drink out of dishes. I love those. Those are probably my favorite things to see pictures of because pictures, like they say, are worth a thousand words words or listening to some guy for 40 minutes drone on on a podcast when you actually see them crouched over those containers with their legs drinking it drives it all home they have mouths they can drink out of their mouths their book lungs as long as their book lungs are not submerged they are perfectly fine they can drink out of water dishes that can't be overstated tarantulas absolutely can drink out of water dishes now can they drink it do they drink out of dishes in the wild well-defined dishes. We've talked about the fact that some leaves can catch stuff. There's streams. There are bodies of water, little bodies of water that they can drink off of. Is misting necessarily a bad thing? No. And I have a lot of people like I do mist. I don't give them a water dish. I, I get it because they will go. I watch my avicularia especially or my arboreal species especially. If you spray down the side of a container, soak it down, a lot of them will come out like little Hoover vacuum cleaners and drink right off the glass. And that's something they would do in the wild. However, they will also drink out of dishes. And my thing is, bottom line, wouldn't you rather have them have the opportunity to get water when they need it than have them have to wait till you get around to spraying? That's what it comes down to. So we need to get rid of that foolish notion that tarantulas will drown in water dishes. A healthy tarantula will not drown in water dish. The ones I've heard of that have been found in water dishes sounds like they were already ill. Tarantulas that are ill, have bacterial infections, are impacted, are having trouble molting, will often gravitate toward water sources. And then if they're too weak, they can sometimes die in them. So I've heard of avicularias. Somebody found an avicularia upside down in a water dish. They thought it had basically drowned. No, it looked like it had probably fallen into the water dish and was already sickly. So generally speaking, a healthy tarantula isn't going to drown. There are pictures out there. Look at the H. gigas swimming. That's a a good one. There are pictures of avicularia skirting across like rivers and stuff. Totally fine, floating around the top of the river. They have a waxy coating on them that keeps them from drowning, and they can be submerged for quite some time because they have book lungs, which are basically the you know evolution from water going creatures to regular lungs are kind of caught in between. So it's not like us taking in air all the time. They can go without air for quite some time. It takes them quite a while to drown. So if one falls in, usually it's just going to right itself and get right back out. So please include the water dishes. This is something I wish I knew about earlier on when I first got into, really got into the hobby and started getting slings. I was like, man, I'm going to have to spray these all the time. And luckily I was able to do some research, get some good information about 
basically saying that even slings can have water dishes. And I looked at a guy's collection. He was showing off his collection. I noticed every single one of them had a little bottle cap in it. One of them had a little bottle cap and a sling that looked smaller than the bottle cap. And the sling was just sitting there over the bottle cap getting a drink. And I was like, that was powerful for me, seeing that they could drink and not drown. I will admit, I know the feeling. I was worried at first. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to put these in there. It's going to drown. Hundreds of slings later, I realized that's a fallacy. That's ridiculous. It's, it's very unrealistic and I've never had an issue with it. So so one of the most important things I think any new keeper can learn is that tarantulas can and will drink out of water dishes. Search it up. I've got pictures on my website. I've got a whole crappy YouTube video, excuse my French, devoted to why I think water dishes are important. This was back when I just went to my room and stared at a dirty table with a bunch of dishes on it. I don't, this is before I was appearing on camera and before I gave a lot of thought to how to set my videos up. So I apologize for that. But it's it's something I've advoc- I advocate for all the time. It's something I've gone to battle with people over that, you know, Again, the people that don't use the dishes tend to get really upset when you call them on it or when they perceive that they're being called out on it because of something you may post up. So just be aware of that. But know also the sponges. Take your sponges. Throw them in the garbage. If you go to a pet store and they're using sponges, please feel free to direct any pet stores to Tom's Big Spiders. I will be more than happy to talk to them about why that is ridiculous and why it's not needed, that it's just basically a way to – give introduce bacteria to your spider they're just basically bacteria nests so don't worry about the sponges take the sponges throw them out use them to clean your counters or clean your cages don't put them in the spider bowls they can drink perfectly fine out of water dishes next one up is one that i feel a lot more confident approaching because it's been years of doing experiments well not experiments but just with my own collection and talking to other keepers it's one again to go back to the original tangent that I went on with this, one of the best parts of the Thomas Big Spire stuff is I have open access to keepers all over the world from different climates, from different backgrounds, from different keeping strategies, and I get to kind of listen to what other people say. So it's not, it's never been about this is what Tom Moran does, this is only what I do. It's I try to bring in what everybody does for my own keeping habits. And one of the things that has come out and that really kind of needs to be discussed is the fact that tarantulas, almost every species, I'm I'm going to go almost because there's a couple, you know, outliers, but do well at room temperature. And this is something that a lot of us don't know getting into the hobby. I came to this hobby, as has been well documented, from the reptile hobby. I kept uh, snakes, lots of snakes. We had at one point, I think, 40 different snakes, lots of boas, pythons, corn snakes, milk snakes. Uh, gosh, blood python, I miss my blood python, loved snakes, and snakes obviously need humidity requirements, and that's where our humidity thing comes from, and a lot of the, the bad husbandry we get in the tarantula hobby is, I believe, from hobbyists coming from reptiles and snakes and herps to this pet, this type of pet, and trying to apply something that really has nothing to do with it. So, for example, like power feeding, that comes from power feeding snakes, it doesn't really, it's not really a thing with tarantulas. But the humidity requirements and the precise temperature requirements and day-night schedules and things of that nature, that's something that comes with snakes. To temp- They temperature regulate. They need heat when they digest their food. Some of them need certain temperatures. Well, guess what? It's not the same with tarantulas. What we're realizing with tarantulas, at least in captivity, is although some may come from some very inhospitable conditions with high temperatures and whatnot, they have burrows that manage to help them stay cooler when it's really hot outside. They have burrows that manage to allow them to stay a little more humid or have a little moisture when it may be super dry outside and vice versa. They have burrows that keep them 
warmer when it's cooler outside. So we forget about the burrows. We forget about the fact that we may look up that one place, the max temperature during the year is 90 degrees. And then we immediately go, oh, look at this tarantula needs 90 degrees. And then we don't bother to look at during the wintertime, it drops down to 40. That means the spider is able to live in both of those conditions. And I always use the analogy that I live in a place where and at the hottest, it gets 90s here and usually 90% humidity. So we can get some hot, humid weather here. Guess what? That is not my quote-unquote ideal temperature or ideal humidity at all. I am most comfortable when it's about 40 degrees outside. That's when I can throw on a vest, you know, sweatshirt perhaps, and I'm perfectly comfortable. I'm a winter boy. I love the cold, colder weather. Right now it's 8 degrees. We're going to go for a four-mile walk later, and you know, I'll be a little snotty, but I'm going to have... I'm going to be in my element, probably even sweating at the end of that. So we have to remember that when we look at where these animals live, and again, good research determines basically requires you to not just look at what the high temps are, but you got to look at what their winters and low temps are. Also, you also need to look at if the temperature or if the humidity or rainfall is, they get a great amount of rainfall at one season. A lot of these places have rainy seasons where it's super rainy. They're getting a lot of rainfall. So you have people go, oh, you got to keep these guys super moist. Then they go over and they look at the fact they have a dry season where it gets really dry, sometimes like no rain, very dry weather, perhaps a little higher humidity depending on where they're located compared to the coast. But that means the spider is basically able to survive both those. And the things about tarantulas are they're all very, very adaptable. And that's what we're starting to realize in the hobby that for a while there were all these stringent care sheets that told you you had to keep them at precisely 80 degrees and let it drop to this. That's nonsense. It's not true. And I can tell you now from years of experience in my own collection, I've kept them down to 68. I've just heard from a gentleman that has his drop down to 65. And he has a lot of the species that normally would be like, oh, those are tropical. You got to keep them higher not true they basically they deal with temperatures a lot differently than we do it's not like mammals where we get cold they don't feel the cold what they may do is slow down a little bit as far as eating and metabolism but if we're looking at what they do in the wild for a lot of them this is normal behavior it gets cold they stop eating for the winter so we're not harming them any so keep in mind when you get into the hobby you don't necessarily as a matter of fact i would say 99 percent of the time you don't need an extra heat source when I first got my G. Rosea, I told the story how I once tried to use a heat rock to heat her, and luckily I abandoned that idea pretty quickly. But I could have killed her with that heat rock because those things get really hot. The spiders will hug the heat rock. They'll basically get dehydrated and won't be able to move off of the heat rock, and they fry. It's not like reptiles are usually smart enough to realize, hey, this is getting too hot. I need to move off. I also used to keep her enclosure next to a heat dome that I used to heat my boa constrictor, and I once basically changed the the cage got much larger i bought a larger cage i got a larger ceramic heating element which gave off even more heat and i could have fried my spider by keeping her right next to that but i was thinking she needed to be kept warm i can tell you from personal experience it has dropped down to 65 in here i have spoken to people that have said that the temperatures in their house they have lost power and the temperatures dropped the 40s and the spiders became very sluggish but as soon as it heated back up they were fine and they were great they weren't any worse for it So it's important to note when getting into the hobby, ignore, and this goes back to the care sheets thing, ignore the arbitrary ideal temperatures that people will try to put on there. Use your brain, use your common sense, ask keepers. The most powerful thing you can do is ask people what temperature is your room right now. Mine right now is 72 degrees. 
I do have a heater in there, but as I've explained before, it was more because once I got into the Tom's Big Spiders thing, I like to do a lot of care sheets and stuff. So I wanted to just raise the growth rate just a little bit for some of my guys, keep it a little bit warmer in there just so I can write about them more often. But I've turned the heat off before. I will do colder days where I just don't feel like running or the house heat's running enough that I let it drop down to 70. So it's totally fine. And again, I've heard from several people now, 65, 67, Spiders are totally fine. Will your spiders grow as quickly? Probably not, but that's okay. You're going to have these things. It's a long haul type of hobby anyway. When you get these guys, you're expecting to have them for many years, decade, even more. So that shouldn't be an issue. So understand, tarantulas, when they say room temperature, we're talking high 60s, low 70s, totally fine. If they dip down to the lower 60s for a shorter period of time, that's probably okay. Honestly, the more we learn about them, there's probably going to be a point where people realize they can drop down to low 60s a lot. You're just going to have a slower growing tarantula. If it gets in the 50s, probably a little bit cooler, and that's where something where you may want to look at a warmer room, warmer area, or maybe heating them with a heat mat, but there's tricks to that, and I'm not going to get into that in this podcast. I think I just covered it in the last podcast, actually. So for that one, knowing getting into the hobby, something I wish I knew because I could have fried my tarantulas is that they do well at room temperature, and they don't need any extra heat source. So those of you coming from other hobbies where you got to heat stuff, ignore it. It's going to be uncomfortable for a while. It's going to cause you some stress. But as time goes on, you should realize it's absolutely correct and true. For the next one, I'm going to start with a little scenario. This actually just happened recently. It seems to happen quite a bit. Uh, you're kept pets before. You had some goldfish or you had a snake. You have a 10-gallon aquarium around. So you're going to go out and you decide, I need to fill that with something, I'm going to fill it with a spider. And obviously, a 10-gallon aquarium is the perfect home for a tarantula. Heck, it's the perfect home for any type of pet. No, not so. And I get these quite a bit. Now, before I move on any further, because there's going to be people that are going, wait a minute, you're saying you can't use 10-gallon aquariums. There are people that have come up with wonderful ways to alter 10- and 5-gallon aquariums. My buddy Casey does some stuff with them. Um, obviously, Tarantula Guy, I believe his name is the YouTuber, has been doing the arboreal ones for years. With alterations, 10-gallon aquariums can be excellent. With alterations and enough substrate, they can be excellent for terrestrials, but they're not necessarily ideal. And here's a couple things, issues with them. Number one, and this is more for people that are just getting into the hobby that don't know any better, cocoa fiber and substrate can be expensive. This causes people to be substrate substrate scrooges a bit. And so what will happen is people will get a 10-gallon aquarium, which I believe is about 11 or 12 inches high. They'll buy a little bag of cocoa fiber. They'll dump it in the bottom, leave it all nice and fluffy. They'll stick in a little hide, probably something you know they pick up at Petco, and they'll drop their tarantula and be like, this is great. The problem is terrestrial tarantulas will climb. They're clumsy at it. They're not as good as their arboreal counterparts, and they will get really high up in that enclosure. So we're talking 11 inches. An 11-inch fall, especially onto something hard like one of these. And again, I've seen some really wacky stuff. Like my the, One of the worst things I've ever seen was one of those castles that you put in for a fish tank, but it had all these pointy little spires on it, and it was right near the edge of the enclosure. A tarantula that would fall on that with its abdomen is probably going to rupture its abdomen and die. Some of the water dishes out there, they're hard. A tarantula that climbs and falls on those could rupture its abdomen and die. So I think what happens with the 10 gallons, the biggest issue I have is people will email me and this has become, I feel bad sometimes and it becomes frustrating sometimes because I, I feel like the people are like, man, I asked you a simple question. Now you're telling me I have to completely change my whole enclosure. But for example, I literally just got an email earlier this week from somebody who had a 10 gallon aquarium. They, they actually, actually were asking me a, a picture. They were showing me a picture of the spider to ask me a question about whether I thought it was male or female, which I couldn't tell because it was a top view. 
But what I noticed was it was in there with about an inch of substrate and a big aquarium. So I mentioned, oh, hey, just a heads up, that's not enough substrate. And then I had to go into my whole explanation about how for using a 10-gallon aquarium for a terrestrial tarantula, you got to put like six, seven inches at least of packed down substrate. And I say packed down because if you're using cocoa fiber and it's nice and, you know, slightly moist and you put it in there, eventually once that moisture evaporates, it's going to settle several inches. So what may have started off as six or seven inches may be down to four. You have to give it a lot of depth. If you're using dirt, that makes for a very heavy aquarium. Trust me, I've done this. So if you put seven inches of dirt in a 10-gallon aquarium, that thing's going to weigh a ton. And when you're taking it out for cleaning and feeding, it's going to make it kind of cumbersome. So that's why they're not particularly great. Also, as far as covering them, the tarantulas can get their toes caught in the wire mesh covers that they sell for them, the ones you place on the top. The thick wire ones don't seem to be as bad, but there's still that risk of them getting a leg caught and being left dangling, losing a limb. It happens quite a bit. The mesh ones are particularly bad because they're little toe claws. They do have little claws on the tips of their toes that they use to climb things, can get caught and lodged in them, and then they get stuck. So what do people usually have when they have a an old aquarium that they want to use for a tarantula? They usually have something around 10 gallon size, and they usually have that wire cover for it that they use for their snake or their reptile that was appropriate for the snake or reptile, but isn't necessarily appropriate for a spider. So these are like the hobby, all the hobbies, as far as I'm concerned, this standard, standard aquarium size is at 10 gallon. A lot of people have them on hand, and a lot of people think this is a perfect thing to put a tarantula in. I went through a phase where when I was first getting in the hobby and starting to pick a lot of stuff up, I've had aquariums around, I had old snake cages, and you start kind of going, oh, this could work, this could be appropriate, and then later on you get more into the hobby and realize, no, it's not. So do know, and this is one thing I wish everybody would start off knowing, the... 10-gallon terrarium or aquarium is not the standard enclosure for tarantulas. Let's just let's use that as our what, what we're going to call this one. 10-gallon is not standard. There are many other things you can use that are better and are more appropriate. They don't offer cross-ventilation. That's a big one. All the ventilation comes out of the top. I like to have airflow going through them. The, the screen tops, the height, they're just not the best to use. Can they be altered? Yes, they can, but that's going to take you some work and some effort. So generally speaking, if you think about it, the person who's about to use one of these for their tarantulas is looking for something easy. I've got this on hand. It's already ready to go. I just need to drop some dirt and a spider in it. So they don't want to hear, oh, no, you're going to have to drop a lot of dirt. You're going to have to buy like three or four bags of that cocoa fiber that you just spent 10 bucks on on Petco. You're going to have to go and take that top and probably retrofit it with some plexiglass that you drill holes in and glue it in or use uh, aquarium silicone to glue it in there and make sure that the spider can't get its feet caught. Well, now you've just added more money to the mix you've added more work to the mix suddenly that enclosure isn't particularly attractive so to be perfectly clear can they be used yes look online the arboreal setups they do for them where they replace basically they set them on their sides and they replace the tops with plexiglass and put hinges in they're gorgeous they look great a lot of people use them and love them i don't personally like the front opening arboreal things but that is 100 percent my personal taste it is does not mean that they're bad to use a lot of people use them and use them successfully so i want to make that very very clear but they're not necessarily the easiest thing to adjust or, or, or alterate to make work for a tarantula. So people do need to be aware of that when getting into the hobby. I wish I had known because I, when I started off, I was breaking out some stuff like that hexagonal aquarium. I had a 10-gallon that I was setting up for something, and luckily I read something somewhere that said they could fall. And the problem is 
when people set these up, and, and this is mostly something with beginners, the first thing they want to do is decorate the snot out of that enclosure. I've seen some amazing looking, like somebody sent me one the other day that had those ceramic Halloween houses in it, and it was their Halloween setup, which looks flipping cool as heck. But unfortunately, a tarantula that climbs, it falls on one of those sharp pointy edges, it may get hurt. And that's what happens with a lot of beginners. They decorate to the point where it actually becomes hazardous for the spider. So 10 gallons can work. I'm not saying to throw away your 10 gallons. I know somebody's going to respond I've been using 10 gallons. That's fine. And they can work for terrestrials. But it's not going to be the cheap, just pluck it out of my garage, drop an inch of dirt in it, and throw that my wire mesh top on it. You're going to need to do some things that are going to cost some money and some time. Now, this one was born out of a conversation, and it's new. It's not on the blog, but it's something that I do think we need to address. And I'm going to try to put a and I'm going to try to put a positive spin on it, although it is kind of a negative subject. But I had a conversation with a new keeper that was kind of shocked at the fact that she had just gotten into the hobby and was had some questions about things. And as she put it, she went on to some social media, posted some questions, and was basically shredded by folks who took umbrage to the fact that she was asking what were considered to be such basic beginner questions. She was told she should have done more research. She was being irresponsible as a keeper. Um, how dare she, you know, that, that type of stuff. And I think a lot of us have experienced this before. And I know when I first got into the hobby, I had been basically watching one of the main boards, Arachnoboards, for quite some time. Now, I, this is not going to be a bashing Arachnoboards thing because I think there are some amazing people there doing some amazing work. The it, To date, if you want a general consens- uh, consensus on how to take care of certain animals, Arachnoboards is where you want to go because you're going to have a lot of different keepers, people that have a lot more experience than I have been in it for decades, is breeding these guys they know the ins and outs of the hobby you're going to get a lot of good information especially if you use the archive so i don't want this to be bashing arachnoboards and honestly i've been on it lately and there's a few grumpy people on there that'll come on and kind of spew their negativity but that's to be expected anywhere arachnoboards is a fantastic board however back when i first got into hobby i was on arachnoboards for a while just lurking and i kept trying to get up the guts to join because i wanted to post but every time i'd go to post somebody would throw something up there and end up getting shredded and i remember i had a question i can't remember what it was about at the time i was doing research on what i wanted to get as far as slings were concerned and i was about to ask this question and i found somebody else had asked it and a bunch of people jumped on him this is with any hobby. It's not with tarantulas. I have a buddy of mine that's into the you know the fish tanks and the aquatics, and he says it's with that. I just spoke with somebody that was talking about how it's the same thing in the reptile hobby, people jumping all over people. It's human nature, unfortunately, and I've addressed this in earlier podcasts, where people want to feel important. They have knowledge, and it, they don't necessarily know how to use it in a constructive manner. It's more about like this bullying people with their knowledge like well i am above you i've been doing this much longer and therefore you must bow down to me and i'm going to make fun of you and subjugate you so that you will do what i tell you it's just it's this weird dynamic and obviously anybody that's a sociologist would probably have a field day going on these boards but my main point of this is that a lot of us start in the hobby we do want to do our research we want to talk to real human beings there is a lot of a contradictory information out there so you tell people to do their research they go online they find stuff that's completely wrong even though they're doing their research like they're supposed to and then they do this wrong stuff and then they post about it when it doesn't turn out right and people basically skewer them and that's not the way it should be I know I really desperately and I did find a couple keepers when I first started out and I wish to gosh I could remember who their names 
years. I got to go back and try to find the emails from it, but who were very helpful and supportive when I had questions about things. And generally, I'm the type that I will research hours until I find a consensus answer to something. I don't just take the first one. If I read something and I go, oh, that makes sense to me, then I go and try to find other people saying the same thing to make sure I'm not wrong on it. But a lot of people don't have the time. A lot of people, I teach, and one of the things we teach high school kids is how to do proper research, how to appreciate and understand when information they're getting might be wrong or might not be good information. Like, you know, don't just hop on Wikipedia when you do your report. Let's find some actual good information, some primary resources, things of that nature. That's a skill, and that's a skill a lot of people won't necessarily have. So would expect everybody to be able to go out there regardless of, and it has nothing to do with intelligence. It can be something, it's a degree of education in some instances because you're taught this at the high school level when you're in college prep classes. One of the big things is teaching you how to do research and such. Some people aren't privy to that. They're smart people. They're just not sure how to go about and do that. So I think that pretending like everybody should be able to do that, that's a bit ridiculous. And that's why we should have forums and why we should have Facebook groups. They should be supportive and they should be places where you can go without fear of being ridiculed or made fun of or being made feel stupid and ask whatever the question may be. And sadly, that's not the case right now. There are some great ones out there, and I'm not going to get into which ones are good ones, which ones are bad ones. That's not my role. That's not for me to say. And I could have had bad, seen bad things someplace, and it could have been just a bad day. Who knows? But I do think people getting into the hobby need to be aware that unfortunately, if you ask some questions, you are going to get impolite answers. You're going to get unhelpful answers. I originally, back in the day on my blog, did... Basically, I was trying to review some of the forums I was on and getting information from, and I was basically, when I did the one on arachnoboards, I tried to put key topics that they wanted to avoid because there were some trigger topics back then that if people brought up and said, hey, I have a question, you were going to get basically obliterated. And it's, again, it's, I'm not, I want to make this very, very clear because somebody's going to take this and I'm going to see it on arachnoboards. Oh, Tom's bashing arachnoboards. I love arachnoboards. I still consult arachnoboards. I I don't participate a lot because I really, there are people there that are answering questions. You don't need my input. It's another avenue for people to go for information. And quite frankly, when you go to Tom's Big Spiders, you're hearing from Tom. Now, granted, I've done a lot of research. I'm taking other people's opinions for my information. But you go to Arachnoboards, you're getting people that have been in the business for a long time and a lot of different perspectives. And that's amazing. And that's something that's incredibly important in the hobby. But back then, it was a little more hostile, a couple personalities. And I had to write my article and kind of warn people things you don't want to bring up. Like, if you have a question about this, just ask me. I'll be more than happy. Or ask somebody, like, here's a person that will do really well. But that's something to be aware of when getting into the hobby that, unfortunately, it's just the nature. It's human nature. And it's any hobby. And it's anything. Again, I've talked about I collect Transformers. It's the geekiest thing on the planet. And sometimes I'll go on these forums. I don't ever chime in because I don't ever want any evidence that I've been there because it's so geeky. But people will actually get in fights over stuff and they'll like ridicule somebody for asking a question about them. It's it's bizarre. It's human nature. It's not just our hobby. It's Arachnoboards is fantastic. There's some great Facebook groups out there. I encourage people to join and participate, but just be aware that it might not be the comfy, cozy, holding your hand type of environment that you would hope for and expect that sometimes it can be a bit hostile. And I think that's something we can all as hobbyists hopefully think about, learn from, and maybe you know, I understand it kind of runs in all the hobbies, but I think it's important for us to recognize, do we want our hobby to be that way? Can we make things a little more 
supportive. And if somebody asks a question that we've answered a million times, if you don't want to answer it and you're sick of answering it, let somebody else answer it. There are other people out there that will have no problem doing it. I answer a lot of the same questions over and over and over again by email and my comments. So be it. I'd rather have them get the right information and have healthy spiders. So for the final one on this one, it would be be careful with the social media. It's a great place. It's a great tool. It's a great resource, but it might not always be the happy hugs and kumbaya type stuff that you would hope for beginners. It can be a little scary out there. So just be aware, develop some thick skin. And if you get shot down someplace, don't engage. Just go to someplace else where they'll actually give you the information and not admonish you for it. So that'll about do it for this one. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Hopefully you guys that have been in the hobby for a while at least appreciate hearing some of the things that you're probably going, oh yeah, that would have been great to know when I first got into it. As always, if you want to comment, you can head to my Facebook page. Hopefully I remember to post this one on time and set the date correctly. You can always find me on tomsbigspiders.com. And then obviously there's my YouTube channel, which is also Tom's Big Spiders. So as always, thank you all for listening and we'll catch you next time. Peace out. Kale just said peace out in the background, so we're going to go with peace out. Thanks, Kale.